but I have this opinion that uh, if you do once SIB training, it will, it will, you will try to do some of these moves, but you will never be able to to master them. You know, you will never be able to, you know, uh, do it on your own easily and without fear. So it it does sometimes make the people have even more fear because they try to do a stall during SIB trainings, but it didn't always work out well, and they 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 might have uh, a fear to encounter in the real life. So I think the when I started training, somebody told me, oh, you have to do two, three hundred full stalls. And I was like looking at him and wondering, well, I have 50 and I feel I control it. But then I did 300 and I was like, oh, this guy was right. That was Andre Prashaska recounting how important it is to work on things like stalls and not just doing it in one SIV, but doing it hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, that's just one little niblet of great knowledge we've got for you in this uh, this episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Andra is a fantastic pilot. Uh, he goes, he he switch. He like I like to say, he goes both ways. He's uh, uh, he just set the world record for the Esfera, so he's a super dialed in acro pilot, competitive acro pilot. But he's also a very skilled cross country pilot. I was just flying with him down in Mexico at the Monarca, and I actually met Andra uh, training with. With Aaron Duragati last May uh, near Aaron's hometown of Murano. Aaron was on a previous episode of the podcast, but I got I was really lucky to be able to hook up with these guys for a couple days and train in his neck of the woods. Uh, Andrea has been Aaron's supporter in the last two editions of the X Alps and will be this summer at the X Pier and again in 2017 uh, for their third. Uh, go at the X Alps. So this is a really cool talk. We talk a lot about safety and how he got into acro because he didn't feel like uh, his approach in, in cross country was putting in him in some dicey situations and he wanted to learn how to control his wing better. So there's some really valuable stuff. Uh, right before we get into it, just a few logistical things. Uh, thank you all again for your generous donations. It's really, I really appreciate that. Uh, they go a long ways to making this, uh, this whole podcast viable. We don't uh, fund things with sponsorship. We just do it through your, uh, your good dollars there. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I've also posted a thing about a week ago on Facebook. I'm putting together kind of we're going to do an, kind of an in-between cast uh, because as these podcasts get out to more and more people, I'm starting to take a lot of questions through email and, and that kind of thing. And I've, I've built up this list. Uh, and so if you have anything you want to ask me about the X Alps or about training or about, uh, I've been writing lately. I've just started a column for cross country. Um, a lot of different things. Uh, I'm certainly no expert, but if you have any questions for me on sponsorship or whatever, you ask me anything you want. If you're curious about any things we're talking about here on the podcast or just with me or things you haven't uh, seen answered, then shoot me an email uh, through cloudbasedmayhem.com or uh, hook up with me on Facebook and send it to me there. And at some point here, I'll put out this kind of in-between cast and I'll just answer uh, all of your questions. So feel free to, to reach out. So yeah, uh, Andre Prashaska, let's get on with the next episode. I think you're going to enjoy this and uh, see you on the other side. Cheers. Go back down, don't touch the ground. Go back down, don't touch the ground. Andra, buddy, it is fantastic to talk to you. Welcome to the Cloud Base Mayhem. Uh, where are you in the world right now? 
Hi, Gavin. Uh, it's nice to, to have this interview with you. I'm uh, on the Canary Islands, on a little hidden island uh, called El Hierro. I'm just in the preparation phase for for this season, so doing a lot of acro. And uh, yeah, it's it's always this time of the year that I come here to enjoy the great conditions for flying that are on offer here. And, uh, you know, you've got a really interesting history. In, in my experience, uh, people kind of go either acro or cross country. Uh, but you and I were just flying around together down in the sky uh, at the Menarca in Mexico. And at the same time, you were out and I believe you just broke the Esfera world record. For the listeners that don't know what the Esfera is, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Andra, but it's the uh, it's an off-axis infinity tumble that Pal Tackett's uh, created and you just broke the world record is that correct uh yes actually just before we met i was i was uh, having this little project and you're right it's um it's a maneuver that is consisting of basically three phases a rhythmic sad then you enter infinite and then you're dropping back down and onto rhythmic so uh, basically it's also a way how to get an infinite through the rhythmic sudden and pal i think uh invented it through basically trying all different things associated with this and i mean it's a it's a kind of a physical maneuver it's uh you know it, you don't do so many you know i did just nine aspheras it's not a big number but uh physically it feels because usually the rhythmic it's like doing some turns of infinite so probably altogether nine aspheras could be more than 150 around 200 turns of infinite actually Wow. Okay. I, I didn't know that because I was reading your, your blog and I watched your video. I would encourage the listeners to check that out online on your, on your website. Um, yeah, you know what? First things first, how do you say your last name? Prochaska. <laughs> uh, Prochaska. Uh, it's actually, it's uh, in English would be Walker. So actually my name would be like Andrew Walker. Uh, <laughs> but it's so hard to pronounce. It's really, it would be wonderful if I would have a English name. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. That's, that's funny. Yeah. And I, I read from your, on the blog and when I watched that video, you said it was really exhausting. And I mean, I know the, the infinity puts you through a lot of, of G force, but why is the Asphera so exhausting compared to the infinity? Well, um, it's not, it's not more or less exhausting. It's like a different kind of like physical, um, I mean, there's a lot of force and I, I was speaking with a few people that are learning uh, rhythmic and anti-rhythmic and it's uh, a lot of G force that is asymmetric. So, uh, it's also a lot more physical because once you enter the infinite and you do, let's say, an infinite record, uh, you're kind of, let's say, centered and you're in doing just a few corrections to keep it going. I mean, of course, it's very physical to do as many as Horacio did. I mean, uh, it's Im impressive how many he managed. Uh, but... Um, you know, when you have to do the spheres, you always have to do a rhythmic to go up, and then uh, uh, you always have a lot more physical force, and uh, it, uh, it's kind of more demanding for uh, for some parts of the body. But, of course, like, maybe doing 50 of them would be super extreme. What is the maximum for the inf infinite right now, and, and who holds that record? So, um, actually, the infinite record it was done by Horacio. I think it's like 586 turns. 
So it's uh, it's an incredible feat what he did there, and he had to actually jump from a helicopter pretty high. It's it will be very hard for anybody to to do more turns or or get this record really broken. And I mean the Esfera is different. So if somebody went that high like Horacio did um, for his record, it would be pretty interesting. Probably you would get like ten. Well, let me nine is for two thousand meters. So you would be able to do probably like 30 Esferas, I guess. Oh, wow. So it's a much more involved maneuver. 30 Esferas, I can't really imagine. Like, that, that's going to be pretty insane. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure that it's possible to somehow do it. Maybe like 15, I don't really know. I mean, like for me, nine was already like uh, enough, enough to tell you the truth. That was maxing out. Okay, so... I, I, I'm super fascinated to learn about where does where do you come to the how did you come to this point? What's your what's your history and why why the lean towards acro? Um, what was the catalyst that, you, that got you into flight? I think this is a this is an interesting story because I never really wanted to or I never really wanted to focus or do acro. So. Um, when I started flying, I saw some acro videos, but I was like, okay, they exist, but uh, nothing really that was inspiring me to, to do it on my own. So uh, actually, after doing my first 300 hours uh, of cross country, I, was, I experienced some situations which were which were not as clean. You know, I, I, I had two events where I could have hurt myself and uh, I was always putting back the idea of doing an SIB training because I was doing a really low budget life and I didn't really have enough money to to pay for an SIB training so I was like oh, I'm gonna do it on my own somehow but I want to do it above water and I was always like back and forth and then after all these hours and this experience, I was like, okay, no, I have to really start doing uh, this training. And I was like, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it in winter after this cross season. And I started doing stalls, of course, with, with some input. I checked a lot on the internet and uh, videos. I had friends around that were doing a lot of acro. And one day it just happened that there was a lot of fresh snow in the valley and no wind because in winter there's very little valley wind. So I said, this is it. I mean, these are the perfect conditions to to be safe, to have a safe box. And even if anything goes wrong and I have to throw one of the two rescues I had with me, uh, I'm going to be in powder snow. And I mean, I, I, I always dream about doing it. I mean, I in my head, I saw it like millions of times how the stall is going to be and how it's going to work out. And I was really looking forward to the very moment of doing it. And the first one went well and the second one went well. And then in all in all, I've spent like more than seven, eight days in a row every day going, doing 10 rotations with the cable car. And uh, I did like two, three hundred stalls within a week or ten days. So it was like a breakthrough and I got to understand the wing really well. And I mean, it was still winter time, so I didn't stop there. And I kind of like started to experiment and and trying some deep stalls and helicopters. And all of a sudden, then kind of the next stage was like, OK, I want to do helicopter with or be able to do helicopter with any wing I'm flying. And. And that was like the next stage when I kind of dropped totally into acro. And and when was this and where was this? 
this training that I was talking about was in Austria, in uh, in the Stubai Valley, which is kind of popular for winter flying as well, with the Stubai Cup being being uh, there every year in April, I think, or March. And uh, there are pretty good conditions there, I mean, and also in many other places. And I think I did like the first, uh, I mean, the basics, all the acro basics and, and like the SIV basics I did there in, in Austria. And then in summer, I moved on to Gerlitzen, which is a really nice overwater flying site in Austria as well, which enables like super cheap living with a cheap cable car and overwater flying. And... Uh, also a great community and a nice nice uh, camping place with many pilots around so as i totally you know got into acro all of a sudden without really planning it and additionally to that like the summer and spring was really bad for cross country flying many windy days and a lot of overdeveloping uh, conditions so it all fit together and i was basically training uh winter then the summer and then the the uh, the second winter in a row just acro and i i didn't have almost any cross flying within almost two years and and uh, that was also the reason why i really got back into cross flying because i was like okay i was really missing it and i love flying cross country and and uh after two and a half years i i was searching for also possibilities to fly cross on the good days and you can really mix it well if if you're in a good place so that's interesting so you you really identified early on you were a cross-country pilot you got about 300 hours and then you identified that wait a minute to do this safely i really needed to, to learn acro and that kind of became your more or less your your thing uh what what year was was that what, when did you learn uh you mean acro or no, when you first started so i I started flying in uh, 2010. Yeah, that was my first flights. Like, because I mean, I didn't really get instructor. Like, in a, I didn't really get instruction. A course. I, I got a glider from my friend, and I was kiting a lot before I started paragliding. And the reason why I started paragliding was that somehow I started to fly a little bit more with the kite, and I thought, well, hang on a minute. I mean, I basically should be doing paragliding instead of kiting because I really love the the part of flying uh, in, in kiting. So I did my own course because I just basically switched a, a kite for a paraglide and I did like 20, 30, 40 hours of ground handling and started to do little flights from a small training hill and and then I started to do bigger flights and I mean I I after two, three months I wanted to fly legally and have insurance so that was the time when I really started to search for a school that would kind of like do a quick course with me because I was flying and I just wanted to get kind of like briefed maybe on some, um, I don't know, things about the airspaces and stuff that I didn't really know about and, and get a license quickly. And uh, then uh, then 2011, uh, over winter I did some flying. In 2011 I did this big cross-country season with the two, 300 flying hours. And, and then end of, I mean, 2012 in the winter I did this uh, full saw training. And then it was like 2012 summer, the bigger one above water where I learned infinite and 2013 winter where I kind of like polished a lot of the moves and, and 2013 summer, 
basically second acro samurai moved to organia which was for sure a breakthrough because it's a great place for training uh, above ground of course but uh, making you fly a lot of hours acro in a row and uh, that was basically like this two year super intensive adventure which finished up uh, 2013 autumn when i went to chile to to do a lot of ground training like more kind of waga style which gives you a lot of feeling for the glider as well and helped me a lot in many aspects and uh, yeah that was kind of like this two and a half years of intense acro stuff in, in all that time andrea did you ever um did you ever have an accident i i mean i didn't have any accidents i i told you like during cross country like 2011 at the beginning i did like really well i did like i don't know like six seven hundred plus kilometer triangles and 160k uh one way distance in the alps i was i mean for my first season and i did a lot of hours i felt really comfy i was controlling the glider but because I wasn't really there with all the experience and everything. I had like these two moments where I could have really hurt myself and it all finished well. Uh, but uh, maybe you were asking about accidents in Acro and I i mean, I didn't have any, to be honest with you. its uh, I see Acro as actually much safer discipline to, to practice because if it's, if it's done right and you're a little bit smart, you know, you do step by step, you know, you ask some friends, you you don't jump on an acro wing, small one right away from the beginning, you know, and you go above water if you really have the possibility. So usually you have like hundreds of meters, like thousands of feet almost under your under your ass and it's not like flying, you know, half speed bar like 50 meters from a ridge which, you know, I mean, you can do the mathematics, you know, even if you're the best pilot, uh, things can go wrong. And in Acro, you still have like two, three rescue uh, rescues. And additionally, you're ready to deal with the situation that might happen because you're training Acro at that moment. And you have a lot of altitude that you're always calculating with. So, I mean, you know, it's pretty safe and it gives you a nice touch for the glider and a lot of good experience. You, you hit you hit on something that I think is really important. We're often commenting about in, in cross country that, um, you know, that people that haven't had SIV training or that don't do acro training, I feel are really taking huge risks with their lives, even if they don't know it. Um, um, it sounds like you identified that really early and you almost got into the training on your own, but how would you, what would you, what would advice would you give for, for kind of lower hours pilots or people that hear this podcast and want to get out and get into acro? How would you advise them to do it? What's the best way to approach acro training and, and why? At the beginning, you know, many people have fears from all this. Um, I mean, that's understandable, but on the other hand, they might get fears from flying cross country. And I mean, they might have fears also from having a bad situation happening to them in cross country, which is the big problem because if you're under stress, you know, you're never going to react well. But to get back to your question, I think it's really nice if, if you do, if you're not really this kind of like a person that, that, that has the the possibility to to try and do some steps on your own 
which not many people maybe have. It's good to get a SIV, like you said, with an instructor. And there, there are many possibilities around just to see if, if you can, you know, do at least this basic course at first and then maybe you can continue on your own, you know. You know, I, I have this kind of opinion and maybe many people will not like it or many SIV trainers will not like it or maybe they will like it. I don't know. But I have this opinion that uh, if you do once SIV training, it will it will you will try to do some of these moves, but you will never be able to to master them. You know, you will never be able to, you know, uh, do it on your own easily and without fear. So it it does sometimes make the people have even more fear because they tried to do a stall during SIV trainings, but it didn't always work out well and they, they, they might have uh, a fear to encounter it in the real life. So I think the when I started training, somebody told me, oh, you have to do two, 300 full stalls. And I was like looking at him and wondering, well, I have 50 and I feel I control it. But then I did 300 and I was like, oh, this guy was right. Because now I can do it with any glider, and I, you know, it's it's something that you can't really mm, describe. It's it's also the confidence, you know. And with every stall, you need to deal with a different exit, asymmetric exit, like this shooting, that shooting. And I think the the important thing is to do not only once SIV trainings. I mean, the the really good pilots which are flying uh, PWC comps. I mean, they they do SIV trainings when they get a new wing, or they get they go do SIV IB trainings when every year, like like an avalanche course for people that go in the backcountry skiing, you know. So you want to keep current and you want to do this on your own because if somebody has one SIB training and I come to him and I tell him, okay, now go there out in the valley with 1,000 meters and do a stall on the wing that you're flying now, he might not be able to do yeah. it. You know? I'm, I'm really glad you said that. It, in uh, 2012, I had done a few SIVs at that point and I went out to do some acro training with a, a friend of jockeys. Jockey had a guy in that was, uh, I forget his name now. It's embarrassing. That I can't remember his name, but he, he was, he was there to just do some acro training with me. And the, but most of the people in the, in the class were there to do an SIV. And it was so funny to watch, you know, you know, it's the buildup. You, you do all those small things and it builds up to the last day when everybody's got to do their full stalls. And that day, everybody's just silent that morning, you know, when they're getting the briefing from jockey and everybody's so scared and, and, uh, and, and they're, and they're so nervous. And, you know, to me, it's like, you really shouldn't be flying cross country and until your, your stalls are, are like launching. I mean, it's, there, there should be a non-event. It should just be something you don't even think about. It's just, it's automatic response. It's fun. Um, it's not scary. It doesn't get your heart rate up and that you can only do that from repetition. Like you say, uh, you know, 300 times. And I, I'd be curious, I, I didn't know that, uh, you'd only been flying since 2010. You've had some amazing success. Uh, would you credit that, you know, you were saying you're, you're flying two to 300 hours, uh, a year, maybe more. Um, but even that you've had a lot of success, uh, you know, there, there are not a lot of people flying those kind of hours, but what would you credit your success to? Is it, is it dedication? Is it talent? Uh, some kind of combination? Mm, I think, I think it's a combination. I mean, over the time, you know, I, 
I mean, now I'm 30, so I'm I'm getting to my know myself as like my personality and my my person as general, and I see that somehow I'm kind of like better with stuff that is like hand uh, managed, you know, or like. Uh, all the stuff that that I can kind of do with my hands, I'm a little bit more talented. And also, I li- I'm a air person. Like I don't feel so comfortable in water, for example. So water sports are really much harder for me. But in general, I think you know nobody, even the most talented person, will never be able to to get really good if he doesn't put a lot of dedication in it. And tell me about the crossover back to, so you and I met this last spring when we were training together in, in near Murano uh, for the X-Alps with, uh, with Aaron Duragati. You were his supporter this year. You were also his supporter in 2013. I believe you're going to be his supporter this summer at the X-Pier. Um, tell me about that relationship, how that happened. And also, uh, you know, one of the really interesting things I think about your team is that you often launch uh, during the race as well with Aaron and you guys kind of fly together. Uh, obviously, that's a real, that's a huge benefit for Aaron. Um, but also, you know, I've, I've seen you fly cross country and at the Monarca, you're a very skilled uh, cross country pilot. Can you talk a little bit more about the, uh, both that, that team, that combination of working with Aaron, but also, um, you know, what's, what's kind of your passion now? Is it, is it more acro or is it more cross country? Oh, well, that's, uh, that's, uh, many different questions. I'll try to, to, to go step by step. I mean, uh, the passion, uh, I love both, you know, it's like when I do a week or two of cross, I'm always thinking, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really happy to do like a, a few acro moves. And actually in the end, like I do some acro with a, with a cross wing. I always try to fly a wing that, that is doing at least the basic stuff, you know, so so I can, you know, do some helicopters and it's also giving me the touch for the cross wing. So I really like to have a nice sustained deep stall with the wing and tail slide and full stall the cross country wing as well. So I always, I mean, I do, you know, let's say before a task, if there's a chance, I go out a little bit to use the altitude and, and I do a stall or I do a helicopter because this, this always keeps you to touch. I mean, even if, if you are the best acro pilot and you will not fly for a few months or years, you will still keep your skills to a certain level, but you will not have the muscle memory at such a high level and the confidence. So, you know, it's always a mix of muscle memory and, and your mental like awareness. If you really think you can do it and, you know, so many things are influenced just with the pure mind. If you always, if you're such a person that you always say, I can do it great, but it's also good to have this training because this keeps you like, have the feel that you can do it. So I love both and uh, cross country for me is, has always been from the very first moment, a great way to see the nature and, and uh, also like to travel some distance and explore the mountains. And I love mountains. So it's also the reason why I got into this uh, X Alps thing. I mean, I was always doing hike and fly and, and I always loved the idea of hiking up and flying down or even doing cross country. And I never thought actually I'm going to be somehow involved in this race because I would love to cross the Alps on my own, but I don't think part of the race because it's just a little bit too extreme, the race. But 
uh, I met Aaron uh, 2013 actually was it that no, 2012 actually in summer when I was doing training and I was at the phase of learning infinite and and uh, he came to the same place and he was really motivated to learn infinite so he was there and we were kind of I just passed the phase I understood what I should be doing and uh, he was still struggling with a few parts and and I was really happy to go over his uh, video footage and give him some insights of from my training and we had really good vibes and his girlfriend back then was uh, or it's still the same girlfriend but uh, his girlfriend was a friend of mine and so when they were going for Alps and they got non nominated um, uh, they were together as a team so he and Renata so um, but the, the thing is that just before the race, like three, four, five months before the race, they, they changed the rules and they enabled one more supporter. And at that time he gave me a call and he was like, Oh, you think you would be interested in, in doing it with us? And I think you would fit in the team well. So I said, yeah, why not? I mean, I'm up for it. I mean, I felt it was like a great way how to experience the race and this crossing without having to do it on my own, you know? And you guys, you guys did really well coming out of the whole shot. You get seventh in 2013 when the weather was fantastic and really good flying. I know that you had a, a really horrible day where you made almost no progress, really tough day where you had some damage to the wing. And then uh, a, a little bit better even this year, you were sixth uh, in, I think, more challenging weather and flying and stuff. Um, given that Aaron is, you know, former world champion, obviously really, really amazing pilot, um, what do you feel like uh, is going right for you guys and what, what's, what's holding you back from winning? I mean, I will maybe, before I answer this question, I'll just say that, uh, because you mentioned in the last one, that we're flying together. Like, the first year we didn't really fly that much together because, uh, first of all, it was illegal, I mean, so... Me, I mean, Aaron is very straight with the rules and, and he's really taking care of all little aspects and uh, airspaces and all the stuff that can influence the race. So in the first race, uh, I was usually doing a lot of hiking, like even last race, but um, I was usually having also a very easy glider. I was flying a Gin Yeti. So they didn't even give me the possibility to fly with him because, of course, the performance difference is incredible. And I usually took a lot of things for him up, like backup, uh, you know, shoes, uh, food, water, and, you know, also nice to hike together, two people for navigation and talk and just better to be two and I would fly down back to the car and I would stay in the car and uh, then maybe in the next part just hike again with him up for the second race what changed was that uh, basically uh, we were allowed just one supporter again like 2015 last year was just one supporter but what they took out of the rules is that there was uh, it was possible that anybody could be helping you you know because in the past the rules said that there is nobody that is allowed to give you any kind of support or help outside of the two supporters and uh, therefore what happened was that the teams got really pretty big i remember i think antoine gerard had like six or seven or eight people helping him like it was 
incredible big teams. And we didn't really plan on changing the strategy much if you compare it to the first year. We didn't really plan to change the strategy. We wanted to keep it very similar to 2013. And we did make, again, a team of two supporters, uh, even though one was official and the other one was kind of like helping. But I mean, the same like 2013. But we had, we didn't have like uh, hyper, I mean, we actually, what we did have, we had the Yeti glider, which I was thinking I'm going to be flying a lot, but we also took the, uh, a backup wing for, for Aaron, which was, which was then the one that I was using during the race for some flying. I mean, I think I did like 40, 45 hours of flying during the race, actually. You know, during the race, we found out that there's so many teams having like like flying supporters so to say like sometimes even two two three people uh flying with the athlete we were like oh my gosh i mean for sure this is helpful like let's see if we can do it as well and and uh, renata was also that was not part of the race this this time she was around a lot and she wanted to help us a lot so all of a sudden she became a uh, fourth supporter she was driving the car with Matthias they were taking care of all the food and driving and basically me and Aaron we were doing all the hiking and uh, a lot of flying and uh, all of a sudden it turned out to be totally different than we planned I think it was an interesting aspect I mean it for sure it does help uh, for for the athlete if there is somebody flying around it helps a lot at least in the days when you're not really sure when you can take off at what time is it working already and 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 also when you fly together it's 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 nice it's emotional and there are a lot of people flying around it's not like all us too there's a lot of other athletes but nowadays all the competitors they are such a high level that that you know it's hard to really separate so i mean there were many times that, that me and our we were flying with three four other people there was like four athletes together plus me, plus each of them had also flying support. It was like a group of eight people sometimes. It was crazy. And uh, <laughs> it was like really funny. So, I mean, in the end, the thing is that it's really, really hard to kind of like keep on. Like you would have to be like two people flying at super same level all the time if you would like to keep up like all the time together. So uh, not always it's working like that because of course like um, if I get a little bit behind, he's not going to wait for me, of course. So either I have to really come with some smart line, you know, to catch up, which was sometimes the case. Or if I get a thermal and I'm, you know, a little bit in front, I come back, you know, I wait or I go down, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty challenging task. And we did some really beautiful flights. We did some flights where we were at the beginning together, but then we separated and I flew like four or five hours, totally different line than he did. And we met up again at one point sometime. So it was really, really interesting experience. And I mean, I, I really, really grateful for this for the 2015 year because I could fly in the same conditions like they did. And it was pretty harsh harsh flying conditions what would you what would you change what have you guys learned uh, the two times as a team uh, I imagine you're already probably plotting strategy and everything for the next one and you'll be doing the x pier this summer which will be good training as well but um, have you guys identified things that you need to, to to do better or is it more just luck or uh, how do you how do you make less mistakes I guess 
Yeah, I mean, there's always many things to work on and change. I mean, we all wish we could fly uh, and and do the race in such an amazing pace like Kriegel does every year. It's really, he is doing an amazing job. And I mean, for sure, we identify, always we identify like things that we can work on. Last year, like 2015 edition, what really failed on us was the the telephone that we got from the organization and the internet coverage. And internet is such a such a crazily vital element of the race. Like it's amazing how dependent you know we are, because of course, for example, if the supporter doesn't have internet, I don't have a clue where Aaron is, and I can't really come and help him or or talk with him and it's uh it's really um alpha omega of the whole thing you know so this really failed on us and we were thinking about getting a satellite internet for the next edition as one little thing like having at least one gig of satellite internet for those extreme situations no matter what it's going to cost and uh, I mean, on the on the physical side, I think Aaron is really on the top top of the whole pack. I think that I mean he's also continuing to train like every day. He was training already one day after the race. So I mean, I think that 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 part. I mean, what he was he was almost diagnosed for overtraining. So I think he knows well how to really manage his training, and he has good good support like good trainer so i think all this stuff is going to be always good so we all need to just work a little bit on the um, i mean he needs to work a little bit on the flying side because he's a great comp pilot but uh, he doesn't have these thousands of hours of cross country in trying different lines like Kriegel does and this helps a lot during X-Alps so he's getting so much better like this year was much better than the the year before but you know he's a very aggressive pilot and when it's strong condition it's really amazing for him but you know X-Alps is also flying from early day till end of the day so you need to be switching you know a little bit the strategy and flying a little bit slower towards the end of the day and I think he's he's getting there. It just needs a little bit more like going out and doing his own cross country uh in the in the Alps and I mean he already did it um this last autumn like after Excels he was going uh doing some random cross country around his home place. So this is exactly what he needs to be doing and and of course we're working on all these little aspects and I think Let's see. I mean, we're going to be for sure strong for 2017 and and we're going to give our best and let's see what's going to happen. Yeah, you guys are a great team and I'm, you know, really one of the main teams to watch for sure. I sure had fun training with you and it's been it's been really good getting to know both of you as well. I, I couldn't agree more with your with your thoughts there. Um, Andra, one of the questions, I put out a thing that I was going to be uh, speaking to you. One of the questions we got was, you know, when you fly two or 300 hours a year and you're, you know, you're going to Mexico and now you're in the Canaries and you, you'll be doing the X-Pier with, with, uh, with, with uh, Aaron in, in Spain, um, is your, are you making a living from paragliding or how does all, how does that work? Is it sponsorship or, um, it, cause it seems like you're pretty much full time. 
it's an interesting uh, situation for me now. I'm I'm kind of living the sport, but on the other hand, for many people, would be like surviving because um, I don't really have like uh, you know lifestyle of of people of normal working people, you know. So you're 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 living on the cheap. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I'm really optimizing my costs and my budget. I mean, uh, when I went to Mexico, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really think there's a super final going to happen there. I didn't really plan to fly in the Monarca Open. I didn't really plan to to do a Sfera World Record. I didn't plan anything. I just saw a flight for 350 or 400 bucks, you know, back and forth. And I said, okay, let's go to Mexico this year. A few friends of mine that I met in the past, they were like already telling me a few years to come and and share the sky with them. So, I mean, the paragliding community actually is the one that, that I can thank the most for being able to live this kind of lifestyle. And, uh, of course, like Simple Life, a few sponsors that is keeping, you know, keeping the whole motor, the whole engine running. And, uh, you know, if you really want something, there is, it's so, so simple. You can get it, but, you know, there's always a price to pay. So, I mean, I don't have a flat. I don't have a car. I mean, I'm, I'm moving all year round. I mean, this time of the year is the best time of the year for me because I'm always renting a flat and I'm staying in my own flat. And, and uh, so I'm kind of like having more kind of a regular lifestyle throughout the year, you know, like in the summer, I probably this year I'm going to train for the Xper, maybe train a little bit acro and maybe do just some cross country with my backpack and cross the Alps, you know, I mean, for that, you don't really need a lot of money, you know, in the end, it's, uh, it's like simple choices, but you know, nowadays, once you get used to some kind of a comfort, it's really hard to get out of this comfort zone and 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 live a simple life. You know, it's it's always about the choice, and and it's also not going to work out for me like this forever. I mean, it it might happen that I'm going to strike a big deal and I'm going to have like a sponsor with I don't know thirty thousand bucks per year or more and. And then it's going to be a different story. But otherwise, it's, I mean, I managed to, to travel and I managed to, to do some shows and I get some invitations every year. So, and I always try to have a balance between, between let's say, cross and acro travel. So I kind of get the similar airtime because now, I mean, probably I'm getting like 150 acro hours and probably like 150 cross hours. So this makes like 300 plus additional 50 to 100 here and there depends. So I mean, like now, like this year or last year, I had like 350, I think, or 400 hours. And uh, and anyways, it's like in the early stages when I was training more acro, I was uh, actually doing more hours. I was always getting towards 500 hours. Now with with all the cross country, no, actually with all the comps, with all the acro comps and the acro shows, you know, there's a lot of traveling and very little flying. So it's actually taking like 100, 150 hours out of the whole total actually. Let me, uh, I'll ask you a question that you don't have to answer, but I think people would find this uh, pretty interesting. What, what do you think you spend in a year on your on your flying, on your life? When I was doing the acros uh, training phase, 
when I was really like dedicated into Accra. I think I was managing a year like from 5,000 euros, which is like, let's say, 6,000 bucks. I mean, that's very little money taking into account. I was flying like 500 hours per year. The the key to, to be able to do this kind of traveling is to select, let's say, four or five really good flying spots where you can accumulate your hours. Let's say if you want to do Acro, you, you go to Spain and and then you move to Chile or like you find some spot for the, for the spring, for winter, for summer. And you try to get as consistent spot as possible so you know when you get there, you're going to be able to stay there for three months at least. Because once you minimize the, the traveling between one spot and another, you're going to minimize, of course, your expenses because the travel expenses are really high. Secondly, as you're basically dividing your year, let's say, into three, four, five stages, places, where let's say you're going to be always renting an apartment with some other people that are also into flying, then you don't need to rent your own flat wherever you live. If you would think that you're going to be living in this city, you're going to be spending 6,000 bucks for the apartment there, plus you're going to be commuting to the flying spot like every weekend, like just this uh, commuting to the flying spot back and forth and weekend flying is going to give you such a high budget with the flat that you can, you know, travel the world and fly nonstop almost. So, <laughs> so tell me, tell me this then, how do you, that, it sounds like this is, you know, a completely year round pursuit for you. Uh, you know, you're, you're in your sixth, it's going on seventh year of flying. How do you stay, two questions, how do you stay motivated for it? And, and what is it about paragliding that has you so wrapped? Why are you, what's, what's so special about it for you? Well, paragliding is a great way how to really be in contact with the nature. I think it's the unique way to, to experience like flight because there are many other sports, let's say skydiving or wingsuit flying, which are really, really cool. I am sure about that. I don't have so much experience in this area, but it's a short short uh, moment and high adrenaline let's say and you know many people when i fly tandem with them they're like wow this is so calm you know and relaxing because paragliding is relaxing actually and it's a good mix of you know sportive elements and experience and all those chemicals we like the endorphins and dopamine and serotonins and there's also a bit of adrenaline there as well i'm sure so I think this is the, the key why whenever I'm, you know, sometimes you're right that the motivation can drop, but it's really funny that when I get back in the air, I'm like really, really happy and motivated. But it's it's not like in when I was starting with paragliding, I was really obsessed, you know, I was like watching the weather and I was like, okay, it's flyable, let's go. Or when it was not sure it's flyable, I was like spending even two hours, like thinking if it is flyable or not, you know, checking the, you know, the mountain from the window, checking the weather stations, the conditions and thinking maybe it might be possible, maybe not. Should I go? Should I not go? I don't have these stages anymore. So I have like, I go when it's good 
and I try to be very efficient because there's also some work to be done, you know, and organize, you know, and do some sponsor stuff or think about projects, make videos, which I like to dedicate my time in. So I'm, I'm always like, when it's not sure it's not flyable, I'm really happy not to fly because I'm flying so much, you know, I'm like, oh, it's okay. I mean, I, I'm happy to have a day rest and, and I'm taking all these dull moments, you know, out. And sometimes people feel, oh, you're not motivated to go flying i don't see the passion it's just because i'm not sure if it's worth it and and another day i'm gonna be up there and i'm gonna be really happy about it so you know it's sometimes it's a little bit hard to keep on maintaining the acro part because you know if you go and train three hours and you're training all the time the same moves and you're doing this every day I mean, I'm sure, like, I'm not flying Acro for such a long time, like, let's say, Horacio or some guys out there. And I have big respect to see Horacio to train, like, I mean, in Chile, I saw him train five, six hours without stop. And I was like, wow, I mean, I'm impressed after being, like, six, seven, eight years, I don't know how many, doing this all the time, over and over again. I mean, big respect for me. Sometimes, you know, I need... I'm doing it because I like the sportive side, you know. I, I really love to move. So acrobatics is very physical, at least uh, for, for the abdominals and, and the upper body. It's not so much for the, for the legs, but it's really physical to do like training in very good uh, dynamic sites where you can do every six minutes, you can do a two-minute, three-minute run where you're sweating and you're like running a marathon. So... I mean, here on the Canary Islands, when I train, I go for three hours. And today I took my friend for his first session. He's like, he's now sleeping, you know, because he's totally, he's ruined. <laughs> so. Andre, when you're, you mentioned you're 30, do you, do you have, are you living kind of moment to moment right now? Or do you have um, goals in the sport? Or when you look at, say, 35 or 40, uh, I know some people do that and some people don't. I've, I've never been one to very, you know, make plans for the future. But um, do you have plans for the future and, and, and goals? I'm more or less like you. I don't really have like super long-term goals like where I would like to be. How to say it? I I don't. I'm not a competitive person actually. So if if for some people the goal would be to become a world champion or to to win a gold medal or whatever, that wouldn't be my goal because you know it's such a it's such a little thing that that. You know, it's more of a like egoistic thing. So, I mean, a few years back, before I started flying, I was, uh, or let's say, ten years back, I was a, I was a city kid. You know, I was, I grew up in Prague, and I was, I was, you know, not really sportive. You know, whenever you're a city kid, like a big, uh, big city kid, let's say you don't have the opportunity. I have a few friends who got born in the Alps and I was always dreaming, you know, to, 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 because I was doing a lot of snowboarding. I was always going to the Alps and I was dreaming to be born there. But when I was like 22 I or 21, I thought like, I need to change my life. You know, I wasn't, I don't want to say I wasn't happy, but I, I was thinking a lot about, you know, healthy lifestyle. And, and I was thinking, I was, 
you know, totally transforming the way how I eat and what I eat. And at that time, I also got to understand that, you know, eating healthy is not the whole story. You need to move, you know, you can eat total trash. But if you're doing a lot of sports, you know, you're going to always get, get, you know, like the body's going to be kind of healthy. But if you eat super healthy food, bio, whatever you want, and you have no movement at all, you're not going to, you know, be cutting it. So at that time of the, of like being like at that age, I thought, okay, I'm just going to try to get out of the office. I started studying university again. I started to do a lot of sports. I moved then from my master's to Innsbruck to the, in the Alps. And I was like buzzing, you know, having, having a mountain that you can run up, you know, doing like 1800 vertical just behind your doorstep, still living in a city. It was a great change for me. And I also could start doing a lot of paragliding there. So this was the motivation and the long-term goal became more like, I want to have a healthy lifestyle, a sportive and, and in the nature, be as much in connection in nature as possible. This is still my goal. And, the way how to achieve it is not always easy because you know how it is. We need money. We need to you know, earn the money. We need to work. We need to be in the office. How to get rid of the office. How to get you know, out of the office, not sitting in front of the computer like an office rat, like probably 95% of the working people have to be doing at this moment. So this was, this was the, the idea. And, and I never thought it's going to be through paragliding, doing the sport on, let's say, a professional level in a certain sense. But somehow over the years, it became this kind of situation. And I'm, always super grateful i mean i have a minimalistic life but i spend so much time outside and and what i was always dreaming about probably like eight ten years ago is now kind of reality and and now it's just the question because i'm entering this phase of transformation for sure in the next years how to maintain it how to see if it's possible to have a let's say a fixed place where to live maybe a house or rent, whatever, have more of a base, how to, if it's possible to bind it with the family, if it's possible to have this kind of a regular environment while still keeping the possibility of being out of the office as much as possible in the nature. So it's a very thin balance and a very complicated aspect of everybody's life. And uh, for sure, at the moment, it's really hard for me to think about these things because how can I have a serious relationship when I'm every, let's say, six, seven, eight, ten weeks in a different place, you know? Yeah, and, and I would say, as I often do about my life, these are these are good problems to have, aren't they? <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, yeah. <laughs> you've got plenty of time to figure it out and, and uh, you know, there's no rush. And I think that that's where a lot of people, I think, make a mistake when they come out of school is they they rush because they quote unquote have to be doing something or should be doing something. And, you know, uh, our, our life is a, is a short journey. 
We don't have a, a lot of time, so there's no there's no reason to but there's no reason to rush exactly. it, you know. Um, yeah. Andre, this is this is fantastic. We're just about in an hour, so if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you uh, a friend of uh, a friend of mine who lives in Innsbruck, actually, Max, uh, put me onto this Proust questionnaire that I that I really I, I love. So I'll ask you if you these are just kind of like quick fire questions. Uh, you don't have to answer them quickly. Yep. You can answer them long, but uh, I'll just ask you a few, and then uh, we'll sign off. I really appreciate it. I know it's getting very late in the Canaries, and I know you want to get to bed. You got some training to do, so. Um, okay, so here, here we go. Uh, no, actually, I'm super fit. <laughs> <laughs> you're ready. You you pounded your friend, yeah. but you're okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm training like three uh, three hours a day every day, so I don't feel it. I mean, I could train longer, but it's, you know, I, I don't like to overtrain as well because once you – that's the problem with acro that – uh, just that I put this little thing inside that, you know, when you train a lot, you will have a lot of, um, problems with your tendons in your, in your arms and it can get a little bit, um, I don't think it's because, you know, I'm on this health lifestyle approach. I don't think it's really good long-term to do this. It's like having a tennis arm, you know? So I think similar thing can happen in any sport. I think like hike and fly is probably one of the healthiest ones, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like, you want to be training in in a specifically intelligent way, so to say. But let's get on with this question. I'm, I'm pretty interested <laughs> okay. in it. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is your favorite word? Oh, fuck. Uh, nature. And what is your least favorite word? Illness. Ooh, good one. What turns you on? Uh, good food. Mm. You and me both. What turns you off? I think... Um, when I feel some kind of a negative thing in the air, you know, when, when, you know, when, even when people have negative energy, that turns me off. Mm. What sound or noise do you love? Birds singing, you know, and, and I love actually the sound of the wing, you know, either in acro or in cross country. That's really like, mm. it's so nice. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and what sound or noise do you hate? Well, I hate, you know, this kind of a sound of an engine, you know, <laughs> we have so many cars around, but all these engines and the smell and everything that you know, puts me off of it. And what profession other, other than your own, would you like to attempt or do? I've always had this, had this dream of being able to try a certain job or a profession for like two weeks, you know, and just being able, able to have the capacity to enter you know, and do it professionally, but, you know, quit uh, quickly because I think I would die doing one job for, for uh, you know, a long period of time. But I'd like to try be a um, commercial airplane pilot. Could be pretty interesting, even though I wouldn't like to work like that. <laughs> and, and what? And I mean, there are, yeah, there are many things to, you know, to, to try. And what profession would you definitely not want to do? I think... You know, garbage men have a pretty tough job, but I think still a garbage man in my eyes is much better than being a miner. So I think miner is the least, you know, what I would, I would never like to do, you know, anything in the, in the mine. <laughs> right. It's the opposite of being in the air, isn't it? Okay. And then the, finally here, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Maybe he's going to say, you tried your best. 
but it wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, a, a mutual friend of ours, Vesso, he, he said, uh, good job. <laughs> and I thought, that, I thought that was good. He did a good job. <laughs> Fantastic. It's <laughs> a good one. Well, yeah. <laughs> Andra, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your inspiration and your thoughts and your advice. I think uh, our listeners are going to get a lot out of that. I really appreciate it. Um, before we sign off, where can fee- people find out more about you and, and how can they reach out to you if they have other questions and that kind of thing? Uh, thanks as well for having me and if anybody wants to get in contact with me I guess there is uh, there are some contact details on my website I mean I'm always reachable on Facebook and what is your what is your website website is uh, like my name is uh, www.ondrej-prochazka.com great Andre, thanks very much, buddy, and uh, we'll see you when we see you. I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon. I'm going to be in Europe in, in July. Uh, I wish you guys the best of luck for the X-Pier and for your acro competitions and your cross-country flying, and uh, we'll see you soon, buddy. Thank you. Thanks a lot. See you in the Alps soon, mate. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. It's going to be really just interesting to see what uh, happens in, in Andre's career. What an amazing uh, few years he's had. He hasn't been flying very long, but, man, he's already made a mark, uh, setting world records and supporting Aaron and the X-Alps and X-Pier, and uh, he's certainly getting after it. It's fun to see. Um, as always, all we ask for is a buck a show. Uh, you can find that link if you want to contribute. Really appreciate it if you do uh, on the cloudbasedmayhem.com, any of, those po- any of the podcasts that has the link down below, the kind of description and of the athlete that I've interviewed. Um, what else? Logistics. Uh, yeah. And we're also, I'm, I'm doing this in between casts, as I said at the top of the show, uh, answering your questions. So if you have anything for me that you're, you're not getting out of these podcasts and you want to ask something personal about the X Alps or training or, uh, flying in Sun Valley or flying at 18,000 feet or whatever, go ahead and uh, shoot me that question and I'll, I'll answer it on the next show. Uh, until then, uh, fly safe, fly far and have fun. Cheers.